You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. I'm Nate Kading, and this is Real Success. This is the Corridor Business Journal podcast, where we explore the lives and careers of the region's most influential business leaders. Tom Pintock is the new president and CEO of Timberline Manufacturing in Marion. They're making internal components found in a wide range of products, everything ranging from mining equipment, military equipment, utility vehicles, and much more. Tom and I discussed his upbringing on the mean streets of Whitehall, Wisconsin, where he worked early and often in his dad's sewer and trash hauling businesses. We talked about his arrival in the corridor and working through the ranks at manufacturers like Rockwell Collins and Apache. We also talked a bit about his passion for employee-owned businesses and his newfound strategy for a more enjoyable work-life balance. I learned a lot and really enjoyed our conversation, and I think you will too. Stay tuned. This episode of Real Success with Nate Kading is brought to you by Midwest One Bank. Midwest One Bank is the proud partner for doers and entrepreneurs in the corridor and beyond. As an SBA preferred lender, our team is ready to help you reach your business goals. It's empowered money management. It's Midwest One Bank, member FDIC. Tom, just in layman's terms, explain what it is you guys make and do at Timberline and then what your specific role is. Yeah, um, Timberline is a electrical component subcontract manufacturer, and we have essentially three sectors of our business. Uh, one is we'll build uh, electrical control panels uh, for a variety of industries. Uh, we also will assemble uh, wire harnesses. If you look under the hood of your car, although we don't do automotive, if you look under the hood of your car, you'll see a uh, typically in a little black tube, a bunch of wires with a connector on the end. Uh, we, though, we do those on steroids. Um, there's some really massive electrical uh, wire harnesses. And then the third is we build radios. Uh, we, we build some radios for a couple of customers uh, in, in the corridor area. In my role, uh, I, I joined Tim- Timberline. My, uh, my first day was earlier in January, and I took over as president and CEO of the, of the company. Talk a little bit about what your childhood was like, just in terms of you know your, your parents' work and what you, from the business sure. perspective, what were you around as a child? I was born in Whitehall, Wisconsin, population 1461. <laughs> um, my dad and my uncle uh, took over my grandfather's underground sewer and water utility business, uh, so we own uh, we own that business. And my mother, um, I believe, it was about seventh or eighth grade, uh, took the city librarian job. Okay. And was librarian in, in my hometown for about 30 years. You got years. the sewers covered in the library. We got it all, man. We got it all. <laughs> That's good. You know, the books that you need to yeah. help with the other part of the, the family business. And, uh, you know, so it was an interesting household. We had five kids. Um, so mom's, mom's role was uh, managing the household. And at one point in time on our little city block, we had 35 or 40 kids that my mother was the only stay-at-home mom, so she was oh, wow. managing the neighborhood. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, we learned a, learned a lot from my mother about leadership in a whole different way. And, um, and then, obviously, my dad, a uh, uh, private business owner, I was 24-7. There was, there was no rest. He had no, you know, he didn't take time for fun. There, it was just uh, part of what you did. Um, and he was doing his his underground sewer water uh, company was based on a bunch of industrial projects or city yeah, infrastructure. City everything. infrastructure, or could be industrial park or new residential development. Um, and do you remember was he traveling around? You the know, state we did or? pretty. Uh, we stayed 
generally in west central and northern Wisconsin. Okay. And tried to stay out of the bigger cities. Um, and do you have any early childhood memories of traveling around with other oh, yeah. job sites? And, oh, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, seven, eight, nine years old, going to jobs with my dad, think I was actually, thinking I was actually working and helping him. <laughs> sure. You know, getting a shovel from him and, you know, that pile of dirt that he had me go shovel, it was still there at the end of the day. But <laughs> right. I felt like I was working. Um, and, and frankly, I was. Um, you know, that was, um, <clears throat> that was just part of our household. You, um, you gave it everything you had. And, uh, do you remember, did you have a list of chores growing up that you, you had to work your way through? You know, it's interesting, Nate. Um, you know, my friends had a little checklist and, um, we just didn't have that. It was, you know, maybe you know, I was the second to the youngest. So maybe by the time I got there, um, it was deeply ingrained, and mm-hmm. and if you didn't hit them, do them. Uh, you know, my little five foot tall mother, you feared She'd her. Remind you. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, we feared her. Um, and then uh, you know the dreaded words if we didn't get our our stuff done, it was uh, you wait till your father gets home. Oh. Um, but no, we. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just something in, in our house that I don't remember mom or dad ever having to say, "Hey, can you wash a car?" or "Would you would you go mow the lawn?" It was just an expectation. Sure. And then you'd mentioned that your dad uh, kind of diversified some of his business holdings and, yeah. and, and uh, started a garbage hauling service as well. And you jumped right into that in high school and were working. Yeah. So it was 1971, uh, one night at a local establishment. Um, dad got the checkbook out and bought a little company <laughs> called Tri-City Sanitation. That's where I, all good deals are done, That's right. right. I think you paid $5,000 for it. <laughs> and... Um, you know, it was a great business. Uh, again, you know, the things that you learned, I had a blast. Uh, didn't always, uh, you know, the the uh, odors weren't always weren't always the most pleasant. But um, again, another another opportunity to have a little fun, make a little bit of money, help dad out, spend some time with with one of my cousins who actually managed the business okay. for, for my dad. So your, your dad was obviously entrepreneurial. He, he started several companies and, and bought some companies. Do you have any? Early good stories of uh, any any business ventures as a kid growing up in, in Whitehall. Yeah, uh, Doc Pfeiffer, classmate of mine, and uh, Eric Kernis and I we we thought we were, you know, we were probably the most intelligent people on the planet, and uh, we decided to open up a little investment company, <laughs> and uh, venture capitalists. Venture capital, age, and yeah. uh, we started buying penny stocks. Okay, and um, you know, I think after doing it for three or four years and netting $50, we decided to get out of the business. <laughs> um, but uh, that's probably the one thing that I remember as a kid that was a little bit off the wall, uh, just in, in experimenting and trying something. Sure. And then you went from Wisconsin and ended up down here in Cedar Rapids at, at Coe College for right. your undergrad. How, how did that come about? Right. So, um, you know, mom and I came down and visited and uh, I felt absolutely fell in love with, with Coe, the campus. Um, I had some neighbors from back home that lived here in Cedar Rapids and, and worked, uh, Tommy worked at Collins. So it was far enough away for me, mm-hmm. uh, but yet close enough that I could get home anytime I needed to. Get the laundry done or yeah, yeah. a warm meal um, for mom. But yet it was, it was far enough that I had to think about it. So, in uh, a small school, I, uh, I wanted a small school. And then, uh, you know, interestingly enough, uh, we'll probably talk here a little bit more. It's, it's quite ironic that I'm still here I was going to transfer after my my freshman 
our first semester freshman year, I'm certain it was, I was homesick and right. uh, I had a buddy, dear, dear friend to this day was at UW-Madison. I had my transfer paperwork in. And my advisor, and God rest his soul, Doc Spellman, caught wind of that. And um, so here I am. I stayed. Hooked back yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you decided to stay after that first semester. If you were to ask yourself back then at 18 years old or whatever you were, what, what you wanted to be when you grew up, what would you have said then? Well, you know, Nate, I was a really, I was a solid student. Um, I went to a small high school with a, with a, you know, a guidance counselor that was nearing retirement. And I didn't, I didn't know anything other than if you were male, you went, you were going to be an accountant or a PE teacher. Mm -hmm. And if you were female, you were going to be a nurse or elementary ed teacher and engineers drove trains. And uh, so I came down here as a diehard accountant. Okay. And that lasted for one class. <laughs> <laughs> Enough of the numbers. Enough of the numbers. And uh -huh. um, stayed here and got my econ degree. And uh, and you started working at, at Collins while you were, or you got introduced to the company right, uh, while you right. were at Co. correct? I was nanoseconds from leaving Cedar Rapids. Uh, Dad and Uncle Alfred uh, that spring had decided it was time to sell a construction business, which that and the garbage service was my livelihood during the summer. And um, I was going to go to Vanderbilt for grad school right out of, right out of college. Mm -hmm. And I had my car packed. Um, I don't know why. I, I went back into the apartment, I guess, maybe to make sure the lights were off and the stove was off and the phone was ringing. And it was, uh, it was Tommy Branham. He said, what are you doing? I said, I'm going home, don't know what I'm up to. And uh, he asked if I'd be interested in uh, helping a, a new business venture at Collins uh, get their desktop PCs up and running. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, well, let me, let me uh, talk to mom and dad about it. And I uh, took that job and uh, stayed that summer with a, uh, a house at for a professor that was on sabbatical and uh, later uh, subsequently bought a home and here I am today. Yeah, still in Cedar Rapids. Still in Cedar Rapids and love it. You never get me out. So then fast forward a little bit as you got into the manufacturing industry. So yeah. what, what what was your first big, uh, was there a big break in through in, in, in the industry of manufacturing in particular? Where What brought you from a, a co-grad and a MBA at the University of Iowa um, into the manufacturing industry? Uh, so when I started at Collins, I was in the uh, program management and engineering wing. Uh, I was a financial analyst in that group a mentor of mine and, and again, dear friend to this day, Tommy Bednar asked me to, to go to work for him down in operations. And so I got a taste of what it was like to be on the shop floor and really fits my personality. You know, I grew up, uh, in, you know, in a hardcore, um, blue collar environment, work hard. Yeah. It's a good nat. That's a, it was a natural fit. You mm -hmm. know, manufacturing is part of my DNA. And so, um, just loved it. And, and my MBA, actually, I decided then to concentrate on operations management. Okay. What's it take to work on the shop floor? I mean, what's a, what's a makeup of a, of, a, of a strong manufacturing employee? Um, detail, dedication, um, teamwork. And, you know, the, uh, the manufacturing line is just like an offensive line. Mm-hmm. 
And if that right guard pulls and he wasn't supposed to, <laughs> something bad's going to happen. Yeah. Quarterback's going to end up on his butt. That's yeah, and you know I use that analogy a lot in talking with our folks about you've got to be a good, trustworthy teammate. And in that manufacturing environment, your teammates depend on you each and every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't show up. You take a play off. Um, it's not going to work real well. But when you operate as a team and have success, it's a blast. Right. It's and a blast. How, we, how would you define or describe sort of your philosophy to teaching teamwork and culture, if that's such a big part of, yeah. uh, of the work yeah. that you guys do? Yeah, I'm a, um, you know, I th- um, learned this from dad. You know, I, I don't beat people over the head with a sledgehammer. I try to get them to do things they never thought they could do. Try to try to motivate them, course correct. Um, I don't. I don't, um, I don't subscribe to um, pounding on people if they make a mistake. Right. I always tell them, you know, if you make a mistake, let's talk about it. What did you learn? You make that same mistake the second time, we're going to have a different conversation. But <laughs> if you make it the third time, it's going to be a real, real challenging sure. conversation. You know, and I, so I pride myself in being a coach and mentor and um, you know, a gentleman that you know real well. I, I, I just love the way he approaches his job, Coach Ferentz. That man can get the best out of people. Um, and I only wish I could do a fraction of what he can. Uh, so I, I, I lean on just observing him and what he does with his student athletes. What's, and, and you've been in manufacturing how long now? Would you oh, say? Nate, I'm 30 old. plus years? Yeah. 20, 25, um, 30 so years? 35 plus years. Okay. Looking yeah. back on it, what's changed the most? Oh, um, without question, the flow of information, uh, just the speed mm-hmm. at which information flows and the and the situation changes and the absolute uh 24/7 every minute of every day access to information and and you're bombarded with it so you have to be able to set your organization up to be able to manage and filter because there's just so much of it yeah i would i would bet things coming off the the assembly line yeah. and, and some of the things all the how, how the throughput and the efficiencies and all the, all those, all those things, all the yeah, inputs. How you, do know, you... you know, when, when I started at Collins, um, there was, there was no electronic data interchange. So when a customer wanted an order or we signed a contract, it was probably faxed in, um, and the rate of change, if there were change notices, uh, wasn't instantaneous, but in today's world, you have to be able to react to instantaneous change. Yeah. And how have you personally, as an executive, managed to stay up up on the times as, as the industry's uh, changed and morphed. Yeah. How, what's your strategy around that? Well, I wish you know maybe maybe not quite as well as I would love to, but um, you know I pride myself in being a continual learner, and I uh, I do a lot of reading. Uh, I I attend industry associations. I talk with my peers, um, you know, customer suppliers, and then I love diving outside of our industry. Sure, uh, because we're all we all have the same fundamental set of challenges, mm-hmm. but we might have to look at, at them a little bit differently. And I can always learn something from someone outside of our industry. What are, what are some examples of other industries that you pay close attention to? Well, uh, I'm not gonna say that I really pay close attention to any. Um, what, what I do is I try to um, diversify who I'm, who I'm mingling with uh, and who I'm pulsing. Um, you know, certainly, I, you know, I just left a industrial rubber products firm, so I would, I would keep 
keep tabs on what the manufacturers were doing, mm-hmm. um, but also, you know, the the end users and uh, great source of information. They're facing some challenges that we as a manufacturer may or may not understand. Um, so I, I, I just try to stay within, probably most within the industrial sector. Sure. And I think it, there's a lot of listeners uh, out there that you know, aspire to be in, in executive roles that currently aren't there. They might be middle-level management or maybe just starting off on their career. As, as you look back on your career, were there some big moments for you, um, turning points that really propelled you forward in your, in your own career path into a leadership position? Well, there were, there were a couple of things. Um, you know, I was, I was fortuitous and I was given some opportunities early in my career to be part of some um, strategy sessions at Collins uh, that exposed me to running a business. I was uh, given the opportunity to um, be on some ERP implementation teams that uh, if you want to learn the integration of a business, there's, there's probably no better way than a system implementation. Uh, so that was, that was what I'll say, step or the first event. That exposure, that, that exposure. learning from being on it. Right? Yeah, and you know, just absolutely fortunate. And then in, um, in 2007, my predecessor abruptly left the company. We hadn't planned for it. And um, what company was that? That was at Apache. Okay. Yeah. So we hadn't planned for that departure. And, you know, uh, the two of us, I mean, we were like hand in glove, uh, absolute opposite personalities, but yet we were, we were a machine and um, it was devastating uh, that he departed and uh, sat down, talked with the board and they gave me an opportunity and we had a hell of a lot of fun from sure. that point forward. And were you, you say know, at that point in time, when you went into that position, were you a hundred percent ready? 10% ready? Where, what, where were you at? Five, five or 10, you know, <laughs> uh, I probably thought I was 70 or 80. Sure. Right. Um, and then reality hits and, uh, you know, you sit down in that chair and look around and, and the responsibility just falls over a few you. things on your shoulders, but no, the phone's not ringing. <laughs> And just just for just for listeners, how big of a company was Apache at that time when you took at over? At that time was uh, about fifty to fifty five million. Okay, yeah. And um, you know, what, we what were the big looking back on that time? What was the some big learnings? What was the what was the most surprising thing? First six months on the on the job because you, you were right there. Uh, you were hand in hand with the previous CEO, so you knew the yeah. business. But what was the big surprise? You know, I you think were, the biggest surprise was it's lonely at the top. Mm-hmm. And where, you know, during the course of the day when you're working with your peers and, you know, you, you can talk about your challenges and frustrations and opportunities uh, with your leader, about your leader, all of a sudden you're that person. Yeah. And so they don't want to have that same conversation. And um, it's, it is lonely at the top, but I had just an awesome team. You know, Kyle and Tom and I sat down in my office and we put together a plan. We built a case for change uh, in 2008 in the economy. We all know what happened in 08 right. uh, between the flood and, and just the general economy. And uh, we finally implemented that in 2012, and that really propelled Apache. So you're in what I imagine to be a, a fairly high-stressed environment. you got a lot of responsibility of the CEO. You, got, you guys are uh, you, you know, a highly successful company. Um, how do you balance that work work and life? How do you how do you how do you put that together? Well, today, uh, Nate, a whole lot better. Um, you know, if I had to score myself today, I'd give myself a B plus. 
if you'd asked me three months ago, it had said at best a C minus. And if you'd asked me three months before that, um, hopefully I would have been in the D range. Um, but I made a conscious decision even prior to leaving Tim, uh, leaving Apache. I made a conscious decision. I was going to get my work family life back in, back in order. Um, so I, I arranged my travel schedule and, you know, my, my son's a junior in high school. I have a sophomore in college. I, I missed too many of his events because of work. And, uh, I just made a decision that if somebody wanted to meet with me, I would, I would do whatever I needed to do travel on a, on a Sunday so I could meet Sunday night or Monday and, and into Tuesday, but I was going to be back in the gym at, at Prairie or wherever we were playing by tip off on Tuesday night. And then I would leave again. Wednesday morning if I needed, but I was going to be back in the gym again on Friday night. And, you know, it was intentional. It was, it was absolutely intentional on my part. Uh, and it worked. People respected that. Uh, and then, um, you know, to, to take it from that C minus range uh, up to the B plus, I, I made a conscious decision to make a career change um, that would allow me to absolutely minimize my travel and uh, be home. I think if you ask my wife and kids, they're happy about it. <laughs> I know <laughs> I am. More. Yeah. yeah. What do you think when outsiders like myself that aren't, you know, overly uh, familiar with the manufacturing industry look in at it, you know, it can seem like, you know, humdrum, they're making stuff, you know, it's, it's, it, it looks a certain way. What's the biggest, would you say, misperception or that the folks that aren't as familiar about manufacturing, what, what don't they know that they, that they should know about the industry? Oh, um, I think that, uh, you know, when, when you and I go and buy a product off the shelf, it's the product that it's supposed to be for the most part, and we don't have an appreciation for what it takes Absolutely. to put that thing together. Um, you know, my new role at Timberline, I'm just, I am blown away by some of, uh, of the product that we're putting together. Uh, you know, we're, the, we're building the brains of cooling systems for fighter planes. Uh, we're building the brains for mining dump bodies. Um, some other technologies I can't talk about, <laughs> but uh, it's just absolutely fascinating. And you know, when when that fighter pilot hops up in the jet, you're a part of that. Yeah. We're part of that. And you and know, team. So that's got to be rewarding for the team to be yeah, uh, yeah. connected to that end that's result. Right. That's right? right. And you know, we have a ton of great Iowa, you know, Iowa businesses. Some of them right here in the corridor. Some across the state that are real staple and household names in both, in both, uh, sectors. And it's, it's amazing. You know, we contribute to what they do. And, you know, when you, when you go down the, the highway and you see a construction project or, uh, some other activity going on, that's right. Nate, you can look at it and say, wow, as part of it. And it's, it's fun for our, uh, our employee owners to be able to, to tell their, their family and kids and others, Hey, you see that over there? Yeah. I had a big part of that. Sure. Uh, I think that um, that's really awesome. And you mentioned um, employee ownership. I know that's something that you're yeah. very passionate about is, uh, is ESOPs yeah. and employee-owned uh, companies. Speak a little bit about um, the infancy of, of that passion, where that started in your career, and, uh, and why you care so much about it. When I joined Apache, uh, we were a 100% employee-owned company, and I had never heard of an ESOP. And once I heard of it, I, I figured out that the first letter was an E, and that's as much as I knew. And um, but what I, what I saw 
was a, a group of employees passionate, unlike anything I had experienced, passionate about their company, their customers, and each other. And that's not to take anything away from any of the other companies that I had come from. Not at all. It's I mean, a different, different level. Just there. a different yep. level. I mean, Collins, what a fabulous place to work. Noran, fabulous place to work. Tri-City Sanitation, fabulous place to work. But that employee ownership aspect brings a whole nother dimension uh, of, of passion and care. And so that got me uh, pretty jazzed about it. And, uh, and then when I, I made the decision to move from Apache uh, and Timberline uh, was an opportunity, knowing full well that it was a 100% employee-owned company, I'm like, I'm in. Sure. And Timberline was already an employee-owned company That's prior right. to your getting yep. in. Okay. That's, That's great. Correct. What, if, if you could pinpoint, uh, you know, that you, you mentioned the different level of commitment, but an employee-owned company, if you could pinpoint, like, what, what, what is that extra bit that you get more from the employees or what, what's that next level that you get? If you could, you know, further define what yeah. that is, if you could. I, I think, and again, you know, others will argue with me or, or probably have, have the debate with me, but um, I see it most often when your back is up against, up against the wall and you're failing your customer or potentially going to fail the customer. Um, there's that, that added dimension of care. That's a great point. Yeah, not, it, that that not wanting to f that commitment to not not failing, not letting your customer don't down. want to let them down. It's that extra we, bit, you know. And I shared with the employees at Timberline the very first day I was on board in January. I heard that day one about how much we care for our customer, and everyone, uh, I hope all businesses do care for their customer. But I think you get that added dimension, and then you know there's a there's a financial interest mm -hmm. in in performing and and they get a piece of that right yeah you get a piece of that it's exciting um one question i always like to ask is you know if you were to look back on your career and you were to attribute uh, a certain percentage to kind of luck and fortune and uh just kind of things lining up the right way and another percentage to hard work and skill where, where would you align those um you know based on some of the other stories i've shared with you first of all i'm just lucky to be here so um, certainly, uh, I've, I've had a lot of luck and I've been in the right spot at the right time, but I'm also a huge advocate that if you work hard and, um, hone your skills and, and stay after it by doing that, you build your brand, you put yourself in the right spot, you get those opportunities. And then from there, it's up to you. Um, you know, so I've been in the right spot at the right time, three, four, five different times in my career. Uh, some people would call that luck. I'm going to call that hard work. Sure. That's great. Okay. We're going to finish up here with uh, some of our, our fun rapid fire questions. Um, if you've given the chance, what profession other than your own would you most like to attempt? Educator. Okay. Teacher. Great. Teacher. Love it. Uh, favorite business leader. Do you have one that you've followed over time? My dad and, and Coach Ferentz. Okay. How about a podcast or TV show? Clearly CBJ, right? <laughs> Clearly. Yeah, this one, the Real Success Podcast. Yeah. That's great. Uh, TV show, Big Bang Theory. Okay. It's my favorite TV show. Awesome. Um, how about, a, is there a motivational quote that you, if you were to hang something in your office for everybody to see, what would it be? Yeah, this one's there, and it's handwritten from my mother. Um, it's uh, her spin on a, a Shakespeare quote. 
what she wrote was, all the world's a stage and men and women are merely players. May you continue to play your life, role in life well. That's awesome. Uh, 30 extra minutes in each day, what would you do with it? I'd pray. Great. Uh, how about a book, an, an influential business book? That Two of them. Okay. Um, you know, certainly Good to Great, uh, Jim Collins. Um, it's a classic. Book. Yeah. yeah, classic. Got to hear him speak. Boy, if you ever get the opportunity, he's phenomenal. And then I heard a gentleman uh, speak at the, uh, I think it was the CBJ event down in Coralville a handful of years ago, uh, a gentleman named uh, Keith McFarlane. He has a book called The Bounce, and um, I use that a lot. Awesome. And then uh, just in one sentence, if you were to define success, how would you do it? Whether it's personal, business, macro, micro, um, when you have somehow done something to change the field of play. Love it. That's great. Thank you so thank much, you. Tom, for taking the time. Nate, thank you for having me. This episode was produced by Joe Coffee of Coffee Grande Studios. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at CB Journal.